This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. By the help of the Lord, I want to talk to you for a little bit on the other side of the grave. What does the other side of all that we deal with in death, what does it look like? The book of John chapter 11, I'm not going to read the entire, I'm not going to read a verse, we'll look at it. But when you come to John chapter 11, you've come down to a little city about six miles outside of Jerusalem. Those of you that have been with me to Israel, when you stand on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, when you're looking at the, when you're looking at the Temple Mount there, directly to your back is the city of Bethany. There at Bethany is a little family whose name is Lazarus. He's got a sister named Martha, and he's got a sister named Mary. We do not know who's youngest. We do not know who's oldest. We simply know that there were three in that family. The other thing that we do know about that family is the fact that evidently their parents are no longer alive. We believe with all of our heart that they have come together. Now, whether they were, they were orphaned at a young age, we don't know. Whether they never married, we don't know. We just know that Mary and Martha and Lazarus all live together. When you come to John chapter number 11, we get word where Jesus is at that there's been some sort of sickness, there's been some sort of disease, there's been some sort of long prolonged issue that's taken place. And they get word, they send word to the, the Lord Jesus and they say, Lord, we need you to come. Your friend, our brother Lazarus is not going to make it. Jesus doesn't go. I imagine that his disciples said, well, it must not be that bad because if it was that bad, surely of all the people that Jesus would rush off for, he would be the one that Jesus would rush off for, this man whose name is Lazarus. Well, time goes by, another messenger comes. And the other messenger says, your brother, your friend, the, the, your comrade, the one you love more than anything, Lazarus is sick and he's not going to make it. I believe the disciples thought at that moment, of all times, Jesus is going to go now. But I don't believe. I cannot prove this, but I believe with every fiber of my being. I don't think that Jesus got worried. I don't even know that Jesus addressed the messenger. I cannot prove that, but I'm telling you that evidently that Jesus does not even give it the time of day because when the news comes that Lazarus has died, the disciples are shocked. They cannot believe that Lazarus has died. Now, you've got to imagine what the death of Lazarus did to the faith of those disciples. At that moment, they looked and they said, one of two things is not right. Number one, either he really did love Lazarus and he is not God because he being God and he being the love of Lazarus, he would have certainly known how bad things would have been for Lazarus and he would have run down to Bethany, no more than five and a half miles. He could have made that journey in about half a day. But that could have been what went through their mind. Maybe he really didn't love Lazarus, like you said. And I'm going to tell you something. When death comes your way, that will be one thought that goes through your mind. Maybe Jesus doesn't love me like I thought that he loved me. Maybe Jesus doesn't care about me. Y'all sit there and look like you sucked a pickle all you want. I'm telling you, that will go through your mind. Maybe 
maybe he is not as good and gracious and loving as I thought that he was. And here comes Jesus. And he looks at them. He does not address them. He does not deal with them. And then the second thing that may have gone through their mind, they probably thought something to the effect of, well, I know that he's the Messiah. I know he claims to be the Son of God. But maybe Jesus doesn't have the kind of power that he says that he has. And I promise you this, if you don't think on that one side, you will think on that other side that may Maybe there's an element to God that I'm misunderstanding. Maybe there's an element to the nature of God that I'm not comprehending. What they did not realize is there's more to the story. Because by the time you get to the end of chapter number 11, Jesus has gone down to the grave and he opens up that tomb and they look through that tomb and through eyes of faith, God gives them another side of the grave. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight I remind you that this grave that we take people down to and the hole that we lower people's bodies down into, it seems so final and it seems so cold and it seems so done and it seems so empty and it seems like that is all there is to it. But I remind you tonight what Jesus has done in John 11 and in John 12. He's shown us that there is another side to the grave. There is another voice that God is trying to speak into this. Now, in order to understand what the other side of the grave looks like, you got to understand what this side of the grave looks like. Let me give you four things that would describe this side of the grave. Number one, this side of the grave is a place of separation. It is a place where two sides that love each other, two sides that work together, two sides that used to walk hand in hand, two sides that used to go shoulder in shoulder, two sides that used to have fellowship, two sides that used to know each other. Now they are in two separate places. They are separated in Lazarus' day by a stone. They are separated by a rock. They are separated by something that they cannot cross into. They are separated by something that is harder than themselves. That's exactly what death is in our day. That's exactly what the grave is in our day. It's something that's harder than we are. It's bigger than we are. We cannot go to where they are and they are not going to come to where we are. But that's on this side of the grave. That separation is real. Isn't it amazing how a husband and wife, how a son and a mother, how a daughter and a man, a father, how that you you can be in two separate places, but yet your heart is still trying to connect to them and your heart is still trying to be locked in. But the problem with death and this side of the grave is it brings real separation. It brings real divide. Second thing the grave on this side will do, it'll bring sadness. When you look in John chapter number 11, if you will look at verse number 35. Notice what it says. Two words. Jesus wept. Now I want you to put that in perspective. When Satan fell out of heaven in Isaiah chapter number 14, when all of creation went into an upheaval, when one-third of the angelic host rebelled against God, fell out of the heaven, God got angry, but he never cried over it. Whenever Adam fell in the garden and the very breath of God spat in the face of God, God got angry, but he never cried over it. 
Whenever you come into David's life and David sins with Bathsheba, the man after God's own heart sins in adultery. God got angry, but God never cried over it. But when he comes to the tomb of one that he loves, the Bible gives two words. Jesus wept. Honey, I remind you tonight, weeping over somebody you love is just as normal as breathing air. Weeping over somebody that you cared about is just as normal as blood flowing through your veins. Don't you believe the lie of the enemy that says you don't have enough faith because you cry. You don't have enough belief in God because you sorrow. Sorrow is just as much a part of the grieving process as denial and, and coming into the realization that things are different. Ladies and gentlemen, if the loving Lamb of God looks into the grave of Lazarus and he weeps, don't you dare think it's wrong for you to sorrow and weep over somebody you loved. The devil is a liar. He'll make you feel like such a low spiritual creature because you have brokenness over the piece of your heart that's been ripped away. Can I ask you a question? How else are you supposed to feel when the peace of your soul is pulled from your body. Sadness. You know the third thing that the grave on that side will offer? It offers this little word, shortcomings. If you look back in verse number 19, the Bible says in verse 19, many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. A lot of people showed up that day at the wake and they probably put their arms around Mary. They probably put their arms around Martha. They probably tried to bring them a pot rose, probably tried to bring them a casserole. Just anything they could possibly do to comfort their heart. But no matter how many pot roasts came, no matter how many arms were thrown around their neck, no matter how many I love you's and it's going to be okay's were offered that day at the wake, not one thing made them feel better. You do realize on this side of the grave, it is impossible to comfort people. On this side of the grave, it is impossible to make somebody feel better when their heart is broken. That's why I'm telling you, the greatest thing you can ever do whenever you talk to somebody that's in pain, don't look at them and say, it's going to be okay. Don't look at them and say, you know how they feel. Don't look at them and say, God knows what he's doing. Do not offer any of the spiritual soliloquies that we try to give. Look them in the eyeball and say, I love you and walk out the door. Too many times we bring more damage trying to heal than we would if we just looked at him and said, I love you. Can you imagine those people that day when they looked at Martha and they looked at Mary and said, it's going to be okay. They looked, she looked them back in the eyeball and said, okay. What do you mean, okay? Our brother, our breadwinner, the one we believe that would help us through life and limb, that one, he's gone. And God didn't even care. How are you going to make somebody feel better that feels that way? 
How are you going to tell a mama who just lost a daughter it's all going to be okay when her pride and joy just got put into a pine box and lowered beneath a steel casket or a steel vault? How are you going to comfort a daddy who just laid a little girl down in the grave? How are you going to comfort a wife who just put her husband of several decades in a box? How are you going to comfort a man who just laid his wife of 60 years in a hole? How are you going to look at a child who puts a mama that they've always looked up to and a daddy that they've always relied on? How are you going to look at anybody and offer them comfort? You cannot comfort what you did not break. It's impossible. And on this side of the grave, all you're going to be able to do is come up short. There's one more thing this side of the grave looks like. You'll find on this side of the grave, they're seeking. You know what it says in verse number 37 of chapter 11? It says, And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Here are people that go to the grave of Lazarus and they look at this man that says he's the Messiah, says he's the Son of God. Look him in the eye and say, tell me something, sir. You can do all of these things, but you couldn't do this. You know what they're doing? They're asking questions that ought to be asked. You know what death will make you do? Death will make you ask questions. And some people will look at you and tell you you're wrong for asking those questions. It'll make you ask questions like, is there anything that I could have possibly done to change the outcome? Is there anything I could have done different over here? Lord, why did you not allow this to happen? God, why did you allow that to happen? Ladies and gentlemen, the devil will so rack your brain with these doubting thoughts saying, if you really love God, you wouldn't believe that way. If you really love God, you wouldn't think that way. If you really love God, you wouldn't feel that way. Ladies and gentlemen, can I encourage somebody in this tonight? Our God's a big boy. You'll never hurt his feelings by asking him why. Anything that makes you seek the heart of God, seek the mind of God, and seek the answers of God is a good thing. God will never get mad for you asking why. The only thing that breaks God's heart is when you stop talking to him. Sometimes the grave on that side, it'll cause you to say, why? You find me one place in the Bible where God ever looked at anybody that asked him why and he got mad at him. But there's a whole lot of places in that book when people stopped talking to him and he said, my people have turned from me. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the problem with chapter number 11. We often go to this side of the grave and we stop at this side of the grave. We often go down to six-foot holes and we stop at that side of the grave. We often go down to Bob McLaughlin's grave like we'll do on Friday and we'll feel like it's all over. I guess he lived a good life. I guess it's all said and done. I guess it's time to move on. I guess it's time to be done. And we forget that if there is this side of the grave by natural effect, if you got one side of a grave by natural effect... There must be another side to the grave. Because if you got one side of a mirror, that means there's got to be another side of a mirror. Let me pull out a Dr. Philism. Are you ready? I don't care how thin the pancake is. There's always two sides to it. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't care how, 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 how death looks. I don't care how death feels. There is this side of death. But what Jesus does in John chapter number 11, in all 54 verses, 57 verses, in all 57 verses of John chapter number 
number 50, uh, 11, he says, I want to show you both sides of the script. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to give you a few things tonight. What does the other side of the grave look like? What does it look like on that great resurrection morning? What's it going to look like when death is done and death has no more power over the people of God? Death has no more power over the saints that have gone to sleep in Jesus Christ. What is it going to look like on that great and glorious resurrection morning when we finally wipe away all tears and we wipe away all sorrow? What's the other side of the grave going to look like? Let me give you a couple of things. Number one, we find that in John chapter number 11. On the other side of the grave, there is a word. I want you to look now, if you will, in John chapter number 11 and verse number 43. Here comes the Lord Jesus, and he comes now to the grave of Lazarus. He looks at him, and he says, you show me where you've laid his body. He walks over to that grave, and when he walks to that grave, he says, you roll that stone away. They said, we can't roll that stone away, Lord. He's been in there four days, and he yet stinketh. Isn't it amazing how many excuses we give to God when he's trying to do the miraculous? He says, where is he? They say, he's right there. Roll back the stone. The Lord Jesus looks into that grave, and in John chapter number 11, he speaks Three words, Lazarus, come forth. You say, why is that sticking in your mind? And what does that have to do with that great resurrection morning? Ladies and gentlemen, you and I, we believe every jot and tittle of the Bible. And one day, that Bible tells me there's going to be a thief that comes in the night and he's coming after the rapture. Or he's coming after the church at the rapture. It's going to be before the tribulation. It's going to be before the time of Jacob's trouble. He's going to come and he's going to snatch us away. And in Revelation chapter number 4 and verse number 1, you'll never believe how many words words he utters when the time comes for the shout of God to come out of heaven. Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1. He looks out of heaven, opens up the Milky Way, peers down through the atmosphere. He blows the trump of God and with three words he says, come up hither. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you right now, the same Christ that spoke into the tomb of Lazarus, he's going to speak into the grave of every man, woman, boy and girl that's ever gone to heaven, ever died in Christ and he'll speak a word, come up hither and they'll rise just like he did. Beloved, the other side of a grave, you know what brings somebody out of a grave? A word. You say, why? How? Who? What? Isn't it amazing every time Jesus brings somebody from death to life, he always uses a word? When did he do that? Well, I'm telling you right now, I am somebody that was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was dead in my old nature. I was dead in my old way. And it was not the preacher's sermon. It was not the preacher's antic. It was not the preacher's soliloquy. It was not the preacher's illustration. It was nothing that the preacher did. But when God spoke that word into my soul and said, you're a sinner, but you must be born again. When the word goes forth, that which was dead is brought back to life. And that's what it looked like on that resurrection morning. On the other side of the grave, a word changes the story. God always has a word that brings life out of death. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Ladies and gentlemen, in that day of nothingness, in that first day of absolute barrenness, before barrenness ever knew what barrenness was, before nothing had ever come into, into existence, our God, He looks at this world. He did not pull out a hammer. He did not pull out a chisel. He did not have to find a jackhammer. He did not have to find a measuring tape but in one word he spoke and when he spoke it came into existence now you ready for this what brought everything that was not into existence it was the word what was the word the bible says in John chapter 1 verse number 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God the same was in the beginning with God John chapter 1 verse number 12 down through verse number 14 and we beheld his glory the only begotten the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth in the beginning there was just God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Ghost and God the Father looked over at the word incarnate and when the word was spoken everything came forth now here's what I'm telling you on that great res- I said all that to say this on that great resurrection morning he's not going to send Noah he's not going to send Methuselah he's not going to send Enoch he's not going to send Elijah he's not going to send Moses but on that great resurrection morning at the trump of God the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord himself is going to descend and speak the word. That's what the other side of the grave will bring forth a word. Number two, let me give you this one. The other side of the grave, there'll be a loosing. The Bible says in verse number 44 of chapter 11, they said, where'd you lay him? He said, he's in the grave. But he's been bound. He's been mummified. He's been wrapped in linen cloth. Time out. Does anybody else get struck by the fact that he's he's been bound up in linen cloth? Who bound people up in linen cloth? Egyptians. The people of God had started treating death like the world. Oh, was that rain? Thank you, Jesus. I just planted $100 worth of grass seed. Thank you, Jesus. What was I talking about? (laughs) You see, the Jewish people had begun to adopt the principles of the Egyptians. And they were looking at death like the world was looking at death. But the Lord Jesus opens up the grave of Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says, he comes forth and immediately those grave clothes, he is loosed from those grave clothes. That which bound him hand and foot came off. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what I'm telling you. You and I look at death so much like the world looks at death. We look at the grave that has bound us up. We look at the grave that has ended it all. We look at decaying flesh and we look at dying bodies and we say that's the in. Ladies and gentlemen, this is just a shell. This is just the outer tabernacle. This is just another vessel. You and I don't understand that. But here's what's going to happen. On that great resurrection morning when Lazarus came out, that which had him bound on the outside, he was loose from it. You say, what's going to happen on that resurrection morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 51, 52, 53, and 54. Paul said this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a 
moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the dead shall be raised incorruptible. He looks and he says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Here's what the resurrection day is going to look like, beloved child of God. That flesh that you saw dying in the hospital and that flesh that had been eaten up by disease and that flesh that was dying in sickness, it's going to be loose and released and God will make all things new in that moment. Here's what I'm telling you. In our heads, we do everything in our power when we look at a body. We try to remember them as they were instead of how they are. But it's mighty hard to get that last visual of them alive out of your head. It's mighty hard not to see them as a shriveled up vessel. It's mighty hard not to see them struggling for life. I believe the reason the people said he stinks is because they said, Jesus, you don't want to see what he looks like. Jesus said, I ain't worried about what he looks like because I know what I'm about to do to his body. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you right now on that great resurrection morning, on that day when Jesus Christ calls the dead which are in the grave, I know you saw them in a shriveled up vessel. I know you saw them struggling for life. I know you saw them acting like they could not make it and they finally gave up the will to fight and the ability to live. But on that great resurrection morning, you cannot fathom what they're going to look like. You cannot fathom what it's going to be like. I want you to imagine that person on their best day and on their best day on the earth it would not even line up for their worst day in heaven. There'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more disease and there'll be no more strappings and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more arthritis. You see, on that great resurrection day, it'll all be loosed and they'll be free. Can I give you another word? Let me give you another word what the other side of the grave looks like. On the other side of that resurrection day, here's another word, persecution. I want you to notice what happens after Jesus resurrects a man. Let me get that in your head. After Jesus resurrects a man. After Jesus performs a resurrection. I want you to look at verse number 46. Watch what it says. But some of them, chapter 11. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Well, that's not too bad. They're just going to give a good report of what Jesus has done. Now look at verse number 51. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. Time out. If I had a man that walked into my village and started raising my people from the dead, I don't want him to even come near dying. In fact... I'm finding bubble wrap and I'm a circling him up, honey. I want him in my house. You know what these people did? They said, we can't have this. And they start the persecution. And it was at that moment in John chapter number 11 when they set the plan in motion to crucify Jesus Christ. Now I want you to fast forward to that great resurrection morning when the rapture of the church occurs. What people don't realize is when you and I are out of this world, this world will not be out of here. This world is going to keep on going. This world is going to keep on operating. This world is going to keep on functioning. And something is going to happen. Now I want you to look now 
now in the book of Revelation chapter 6, verse number 9, 10, and 11. I'll put it up on the screen for you. I want you to watch what happens after the rapture of the church. Revelation 6, verse number 9, 10, and 11. The Bible says, And when they had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? After the rapture of the church takes place, the Antichrist is coming onto the scene. And during that time when the resurrection of Jesus occurs or the resurrection of the church occurs, after that resurrection occurs, it begins with the peace signing in Israel between the Antichrist and the Jewish people. It sets off seven years of tribulation. According to Revelation chapter number 4 and 5 and 6, there is a massive revival that spreads around the earth among the Jewish people. There's 144,000 preachers that stand up in a day. 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now I want you to imagine, what kind of revival would you and I say if God called in one day 144,000 men to preach and they preached on the power of the Holy Ghost? You know what I'd say? I'd say revival has arrived. It's all we can do to find 10 guys that are filled with the Holy Ghost. Can you imagine when God raises up 144,000 men in a day? There's a revival that spreads around this world. But you know who can't stand it? The Antichrist. And he goes on a mission, and this is what he says. He puts a mark in place, and he says, If you don't take the mark of the beast... You'll be slain. And long story short, there are hundreds of thousands of people that are persecuted and murdered and killed and martyred simply because they follow Christ Jesus. After Lazarus is resurrected, there's a persecution on the followers of Jesus. After the rapture, there'll be a persecution on the followers of Jesus. Now, can I tell you why I'm not too worried about it? I don't plan on being here. How do I know? Well, I'm not a real smart guy, and I really don't pretend to be that intelligent. But my Bible tells me in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse number 10, that He'll keep us from that hour of temptation. Then you'll find out in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, that the seven churches of Asia Minor are mentioned. But after chapter number 3, chapter number 4, the rapture of the church happens in verse number 1 where Jesus says, And I saw a door in heaven open, and a voice cried out to me, Come up hither. And from the moment that that phrase, come up hither, is mentioned. Now you see the church mentioned over and over and over and over and over and over again in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. But at the beginning of chapter 4, the rapture happens. And you realize you will not ever find the word church in the book of Revelation after that rapture happens. You don't find it in chapter 5. You don't find it in chapter 6. You don't find it in chapter 7. You don't find it in chapter 8. You don't find it in chapter 9. You don't find it in chapter 10. You don't find it in chapter 11. You don't find it in chapter 12. You don't find it in chapter 13. Don't find it in chapter 14. Don't find it in chapter 15. Don't find it in chapter 
16. You don't find in chapter 17. You don't find in chapter 18. And the next time you find the church mentioned ever again, it's in chapter number 19, long about verse number 11 through the end of the chapter. You say, now what happens in chapter 19, verse number 11, down to the end of the chapter? Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that they're all gathered there at the fields of Armageddon and the armies of the Antichrist have gathered up on that little nation of Israel. And the Bible says that the eastern sky, it splits open hither and thither. And he says, I looked up and I saw him written upon his vesture was a sash said, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he comes upon a white horse of glory. And the Bible says, behind him, I saw the multitude of the redeemed. Isn't it amazing that while the persecution goes on, you can't find the church. Do you know why? Because they've been taken out of the grave and they're now on the other side of that grave. Can I give you one more word, two more words? Well, I got three, but I'll give you two of them. Can I give you one? In chapter 12, verse number three, here's a word you'll find on the other side of the grave. It's the word casting. You know what you'll find on the other side of the grave? People take that which they have earned and worked for and they put it at the feet of Christ. Where do I get that? Chapter number 12, the, 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 the resurrection of Lazarus has taken place and now all of a sudden the Bible says they're sitting in the house of one Simon the leper. Now I had this odd question, Jamie. If Lazarus was resurrected, why didn't they go to Lazarus' house? Why did they go to the house of Simon the leper. Can I tell you what I believe? What I believe? It's what I believe. It's ain't, go- it's ain't gospel. It's my opinion. You know what I think? I think that house still smelled like death. You see, there was a, an old Jewish wise tale. It was an old Jewish fable that said, whenever a man would die, if you could pray the right prayer within three days, he would be brought back to life. I believe they kept that body in that house for three days just hoping that Jesus would come. And on the fourth day, they put him in the tomb and the house of Lazarus smelt like death. But the Bible says they go to the house of Simon the leper. Here's a man that has been healed of leprosy. Now here's the point. Both houses should have smelt like death. The house of a leper has got those old rags in it. But you know why they went to the house of Simon the leper? Because Simon the leper was a picture of those that have already been healed from the disease that shattered their body. When Lazarus got up out of the grave, he went to somebody's house that had already been healed. On the other side of the grave, do you know where you and I go? We go to that place where people have already gone before us. We go to that place that people have already gone who've been prepared by the glorious power of Jesus' healing. You see, death is not the end. Death is not the finality. Death is but the door that takes them to the other side. Now, you ready? They go to the house of Simon the leper. And Martha is back in the kitchen working. And she's serving up a frenzy. The Bible says that Mary takes the alabaster box and she breaks that box. And do you know what she anoints? She takes that 
which she earned and she throws it at his feet. What's it going to look like on that great resurrection day? Can I give you a verse? It's in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 10. The Bible says, And the four and the twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Now, can I give you something? This is not original. I wish it was. I wish I was this smart, but I heard Brother Daniel Buchanan say this. Are you ready for this? If you're ready, say amen. Here's what I'm telling you is going to happen. That day when Jesus got up, here's what he says. She poured out that, that anointing oil upon the feet of Jesus. He could not give that back to her, but he gave back something that was a lot better. Here's what he said about her. He said, everywhere this woman goes, her testimony of what she's done for my body, everywhere the God gospel is preached. They're going to talk about it. Here's what he did. He gave her back that which she had committed to him. Here's what Brother Daniel said. I've never thought about this. All I've ever thought about on that side of the grave are all these people taking off their crowns and casting them at the feet of Jesus. Now here is the point. Are you ready? Here's the point. You and I, I got this idea, man. I worked hard for that crown. I stayed faithful for that crown. And I'm happy to throw it at the feet of Jesus. But I'm going to be walking around heaven, but I don't have anything. But here's what you'll find. When you go over to chapter number 19, the Bible says he's got a crown on his head. What happened to all those crowns we threw at his feet? He's got his own crown. What happened to all our crowns? You ready? It's at that moment he takes the crown that you have earned and he says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Every crown you cast at his feet will be given right back to you to wear as a trophy of the grace and goodness of God Almighty in your life. That's why it's so important to stay faithful. That's why it's so important to be right. That's why it's so important to do what God's called you to do because forever and ever you will be known by your works that you do here, up there. Can I give you this last one? And I hope this helps you. I'm done. I'm closing my Bible. I'm done. In chapter number 11, verse number 32, do you know what you'll find on the other side of the grave? Answers. Answers. What do you mean answers? Well, in chapter 11, when you see Mary, the Bible says when she comes to Jesus, she falls at the feet of Jesus. She falls at His feet. You know what that is? That's her saying, I can't do this, Lord. She looks at him and she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The next time you see Mary is in John chapter 12, but there's a parallel passage in Matthew 26, verse number 7. And this is what it says in Matthew 26 and verse 7. You ready? There came a woman unto him having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his what? Wait a second. If she's pouring it on his feet, she's got to be knelt down. That's the same position we saw her in back in John 11. But in Matthew 26, she poured it on his feet, but you know where she started? If she's, on his, if she's pouring it on his head, do you know what that means? She's changed her position. She's no longer bent down. She's standing up. 
Do you know what the resurrection of her brother did? It gave her the ability to stand up straight. You see what the grave does down here? It keeps you bent over in doubt. It keeps you bent over in anxiety. It keeps you bent over in all those questions. It keeps you bent over in all that fear. You never feel like I can walk right. You never feel like I can stand up. You never feel like you can ever catch your breath. You never feel like I'm ever going to do anything ever again. But when you get to the other side of the grave, everything you've ever wondered, everything you've ever questioned, everything you've ever feared, anything at all that you've ever had doubts and problems, about it's all answered and it allows you to stand up now remember this she starts at his head she's standing up but by the time she's done she's knelt again the first time she bent down in pain the second time she bent down in gratitude Lord thank you when we get to heaven, people say this all the time. They'll say, it won't matter in heaven. I beg to differ. It will never matter more. And God will explain it. And God gives you the answer. And the moment that God gives you the answer, it will give you the ability to say, that really does make sense, Lord. And before you know it, you'll bend on your knee. Say, Lord, you really did know what you were doing when you bend on your knee. You will look at him and say, Lord, thank you. On this side of the grave, you can't see that. But on the other side of the grave, it all makes sense.